0: Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Gospel Church Online again. uh, It is such a joy to do this again this week. uh, We love to come to the Word of God and to delve into what God is saying to us here. So it's a a joy for me uh, to welcome you here. I'm John. I'm one of the pastors here at Gospel Church, by the way. Um, And it is such a joy to do this because... At the moment, we're going through a series in Luke's gospel, and we are just finding this an experience of delving into God speaking to us through the revelation of his son. And so I hope, I hope this is being a fruitful time for you. Uh, I'm finding it a challenging and fruitful time for myself as we look into the word of God and as it acts as a mirror and shows us uh, Jesus and shows us ourselves and, and, and helps us to be transformed from glory to glory. So I hope that today is a blessing for you. I'm going to pray for us today, and then we're going to uh, we're going to get into this. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you are with us, Lord. Even though we're not together right now, you are with your people. Uh, you said, "Surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age." Thank you, Lord, that you are the God who transforms. You are the God who calls people, calls sinners like me and sinners like us out of our sin and into the glory of your light. Uh, Lord, I pray that today you would speak to us powerfully through your word, uh, that you would be calling some, even many, to believe and to trust in you uh, for the first time, Lord, and that you would be calling us all to believe more clearly and more deeply in the Jesus who saves us, in the God of the universe in our glorious King. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, um, like I said, we're in Luke today. Uh, Again, uh, we're in Luke chapter 5. If you uh, come along to Gospel Church, you might have a Luke scripture journal. Uh, Feel free to whip that open now. Uh, We're on page 42 of that uh, at the calling of Levi. Uh, and if you, if you don't come to Gospel Church, let me just chuck two things to you. Uh, a, you are so, so welcome here to be in our online service. Uh, if you live in the area, we really hope to be able to see you at church when, uh, when this whole COVID-19 thing's over. That would be wonderful. We would love it. Um, and two, if, if, if you have a Bible, flick open to Luke chapter five. If you don't have a Bible, leave us a comment, you know? Uh, if, you are, if you are within the bounds of Australia and you don't own a Bible, then we, we can figure out getting one to you. Uh, so uh, in Luke today, we're, we're jumping back into a section. Uh, and in this section, uh, you might remember at the end of last week, we, we ran into a question that we're going to keep running into again and again and again. And so I'm just going to bring that up now at the start of today. The section of Luke again and again leads us to the question, who is this man? Who is this guy? And it does that primarily by running us headlong into the authority and the power of Jesus. He does things that others can't do. You might remember last week, if you listened in, uh, that we looked at the healing of, of the leper, where Jesus reaches the unclean man who no one else would even touch, who no one else would even go near. And, and, and he'd been untouched, unclean, probably for, going to be for the rest of his life. And yet Jesus reaches him and cleanses him by his touch. The opposite of the norm happens where Jesus should have become unclean by the way that everyone else understood it. The leper becomes clean in the presence of Jesus and by the touch of Jesus. Because Jesus Jesus reaches the unreachable. And then in front of the Pharisees, we saw this this conflict. And conflict with the Pharisees, that's a theme that's going to keep coming up. And it's going to come up today, in fact, in what we're looking at. Uh, But in front of the Pharisees, Jesus is approached by the the faithful paralytic. You remember that? And, And he forgives his sins and then demonstrates his authority to do that by telling him, rise and go home. And the man gets up, picks up his mat and walks home. So Jesus comes with the power of God to heal, to restore the unrestorable, to restore to community, to forgive sins. Jesus is the mighty God-man, is what we're seeing here. And as we come to this week's passage, we're going to continue to see that reality just expanded out and out and to be Challenged by who Jesus is and what Jesus does as he goes beyond the limits of what we might expect. <clears throat> so let's, let's have a read of this now. So we're in Luke chapter 5 from verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Pause there for a sec. Now there's a general principle working out here that you would probably say is the main point of this text. Uh, I'm going to just state that, uh, point it out, and then we'll do a little bit more looking in detail at that, delving into it uh, as it goes deeper than we might have expected. The principle is that the mighty call of Jesus can lead anyone to follow him with everything. The mighty call of Jesus can lead anyone to follow him with everything. When Jesus calls one to follow, if he intends them to follow, they will follow. And it's important that we get this, because when the Bible talks about being called to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, it's talking about the call to be a Christian. So if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, then this is the call that you have on your life. Not just the call of Levi some 2,000 years ago. We've seen this already in another context, haven't we? With the the calling of the fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James and John. But we see it in a different light when we get to levi tax collectors tax collectors were influential in their own way uh, but they tended to be wealthy but whilst wealthy they had power they had they had a bad reputation they were not respected though influential not respected If you've been attending churches for a while, you might know know this already, but but maybe you don't. Uh, We're just going to look at it. Tax collectors were hated people in their day. And there were two strong reasons for that. Really three if you count the fact that they collected taxes, which is always going to be unpopular. But the first of those other two reasons is that tax collectors had a well-earned reputation for taking more than was required of them. This is why tax collectors were often rich, right? Uh, this is why people became tax collectors even though it was an unpopular job. They were allowed by the government to take more than they were told to take so that they could live very comfortably. But the, the second reason, perhaps, perhaps the worst of the two, was who they were taking these taxes for. Ima- imagine... Just for a sec, imagine if Australia was invaded, uh, maybe, maybe a, a couple of months ago or a, a year ago, Australia was invaded um, by, by another country and occupied by another country. And uh, let's go with a likely option, we'll go with Norway. Okay, and, and Norwegian soldiers patrolled the streets of Australia, patrolled the streets of Minneson, Adelaide, Australia. Every town has a Norwegian ruler over the town. And Norway now have the right to tax you out of your hard-earned money. And they, what they do with that is they take that money and they take it offshore. And they keep it for themselves. It pushes us into poverty. Now imagine, if you will, the man or woman who lives two doors down the street from you. If you live in a town, specifically, imagine that person, right? And imagine... Uh, let's call him, let's call him Matt for for conversation's sake. Uh, Imagine that Matt took a job with the occupying forces, collecting taxes for them. And whilst the rest of us are languishing, languishing in enforced poverty, Matt's actually doing quite well out of this situation. Matt earns Money. In fact, he takes more than he is told to by the invaders, by the occupiers, so that he can live very comfortably those two doors down from you. You know, whilst you're having to board up smashed windows, he's adding an extra story on his house. That's what it meant to be a tax collector in ancient Israel, in Judea. You were a collaborator. You were, in many senses, real senses, a traitor to your nation, to your people. And you were a traitor who did well out of being a traitor. And yet, to to this most unlikely of men, comes Jesus. And he calls Levi to follow him. And absolutely astoundingly, Levi does. And we see from this at least four important things about the call of Jesus that I want want to point out for us here. First, the mighty call of Jesus is effective. When Jesus calls people, they follow him. Uh, This is a bit of a, a controversial thing to say, but it should actually be a really comforting thing for us and an exciting thing for us as Christians. When Jesus calls people, they will follow him. This this should give us confidence in sharing the gospel, shouldn't it? Uh, Jesus powerfully calls people into his kingdom still today, just like he did with Levi. And he does that today through the speaking of his gospel by his people. You and me. Isn't that exciting? Uh, not, not to say that everyone who hears it is going to believe, but that there are many that Jesus is calling out of this world through us to believe and that they will believe at the time that he has chosen for them to believe. His will is sovereign over this so we can go and share the gospel knowing that he will bring sinners to faith and repentance. We can walk confidently in sharing the gospel. Jesus calls people effectively with his mighty call today. Second, the the mighty call of Jesus is comprehensive. Did you see what happened when Levi responded to the call of Jesus in this passage? It says, Jesus said to him, Follow me, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Those who are called to follow Jesus are called to follow him at the cost of everything else. and aren't they, aren't they big words? Now, what does that mean, uh, that he left everything? It's a, it's a question worth asking, because let's be put it in real terms here and now. If, if it applies to Levi, it applies to us. You know, this is true for every Christian. Everyone who says, I have been called by Jesus to follow him... Uh, And and therefore, everyone who is a believer uh, is called in this way to leave everything and follow Jesus. So what does it mean? And it might not be as simple as you think. Because what happens immediately next? Read this with me. So, so Jesus calls Levi, follow me, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Verse 29, and Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So, Levi immediately leaves everything and throws a party with his things for Jesus. Do Do you see a bit of... Confusion potentially here. Clearly he hasn't just ceased to own everything that he had, right? He, he still has a house. He still has money. He still, for the time being, has friends who are willing to come over. He still has the food and the drink that he uses for the party. Uh, so what does it mean that he left everything? Well, we can get a bit of help here from, from a bit later in Luke. Uh, in, the, in the next big section of Luke that starts in Luke chapter 9, the, the travel narrative, uh, Jesus talks a lot about the cost of discipleship, particularly in Luke chapter 9 and Luke chapter 14. This comes up very strongly. And in Luke nine twenty four, he says this, which helps us to understand what's happening here. He says, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Those words, for my sake, are really important. You see, leaving everything for Levi and for us, means that everything is now for the sake of Jesus. Everything we have, everything I have, is for the sake of following Jesus. And let me just say, that might sound crazy if you're not a Christian. <laughs> that might sound like madness, but please know that Christians do this, do it willingly, uh, because in relationship with Jesus, we've found something so much better In relationship with the creator of the universe with the king of the universe who loves us so dearly that he would die for us on a cross who rose again and gives us life everlasting we've found something so much better than everything else we could have had in this world we'll talk much more about that later in luke but do you see then how this works for for levi everything he has is now for the sake of following jesus So immediately he does the best thing he can think of, right? He throws Jesus a party. (laughs) And not just that, he throws a party and invites all of his tax collector and sinner friends because he wants them to know Jesus as well. Levi's life goal, which everything else comes in submission to, is now this, that Jesus would be honoured and that more people would come to know him that more people would come to be saved by him, would be called by Jesus like he has been called by Jesus. And it's worth saying, as an aside, Jesus doesn't go, ooh, no, I'm not going to a party. I'm not a party person. He's he's there. He's in the context. He's he's, uh, where the sinners are so that more can meet him, more can be exposed to him, more that can come to know him. And that informs us as Christians where we as Christians should go, where we should be willing to go, uh, who we should see, what scene we should be willing to be associated with in order to see the gospel go out. You know, I'm not saying that we go to the pub and drink it up because we, we want to be there for that. I'm saying that we're willing to be in that scene for the sake of the gospel. Now, third, the mighty call of Jesus reconciles now you might hear me say that and look at this passage and go I don't really see that there that, that doesn't seem particularly apparent that reconciliation is something that comes out here uh, but this is this is one of those places where it's really helpful to read your Bible in context so to read a text like this in in the context of what's happening around it uh, even just in the immediate context this becomes really apparent uh, um, you might you might remember at the start of last week, I asked you how you might have felt if you were one of the disciples that he already called, the, the four fishermen, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, when, when Jesus came to this horrifically scarred leper. You know, they'd been told they were going to be fishers of men. And, you know, what men might you have pictured? Maybe some influential people that you're going to be reaching. And the first person that you reach is this horrifying leper. You know, you you might have been a little bit shocked. But I I wanna throw the same question at you again now here, because if what happened with the leper had the potential to have shocked you as one of the disciples of Jesus, what happens here with Levi has the potential to have shocked you to the point of serious offense? You see, the fact that Jesus was calling a tax collector might in and of itself be enough reason to be offended, like we've covered, right? Enough to shock the other disciples. But, but, but where are they right now? Well, they're in Galilee. In fact, there's this little, little detail that's worth noting here. Um, it, it, in, in addition to the general details of why tax collectors were hated, there's a detail that tells us why these disciples in particular could have hated this tax collector. In Mark's Gospel, when he's accounting this same event, Chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. We, we get one more detail that helps us interpret this situation. Mark tells us that Levi was a tax collector by the sea. His tax booth was by the sea. Uh, the Sea of Galilee, that is. Pro- probably his revenue came in large part uh, from taxing, and not just taxing, you know, stealing from fishermen. fishermen like Peter, Andrew, James and John, the only four other men that he has now called as his disciples. He kind of goes out and finds their natural enemy and he calls him to be a disciple. Imagine what you might have thought (laughs) when this man who has betrayed the nation effectively stolen from his countrymen, and not just generally from his countrymen, but from men like you, maybe even from you personally. You know, maybe Levi has taxed you personally as a disciple if you were Peter, Andrew, James, or John. And Jesus, imagine what you might have thought when Jesus chooses to call him. And yet what happens? What happens? Read this. Levi made him a great feast in his house and there was a large company of Pharisees uh, a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners let me, let me read those words for you again why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Do you see that? Speaking to the disciples, why do you eat with them? Now, eating with someone, with a group of people, going into their home and eating with them, was a real important deal in ancient times it was it was a thing of associating with someone it was a thing of what being in community with them and being recognized publicly as being in community with them you know that's why someone like Nicodemus over in John's gospel comes and sees Jesus by night because he's not going to do it by day he doesn't want to be associated with Jesus and yet here's the disciples the fishermen eating in the home eating and drinking in the home of a tax collector who taxed them who stole from them. In Jesus, people who were enemies are brought together. You know, the, the call of Jesus reconciles them. The presence of Jesus, we, we said this last week, the presence of Jesus pushes back the effects of the fall. We saw that with the leper, how how the rather than Jesus becoming unclean, the, the effects of the fall on this man are pushed back and he becomes clean. But now we see it in another, perhaps even more astounding way. In Jesus, enemies are reconciled. And that's still true today, let me say. The church is a testament to this fact. And the church should increasingly be a testament to this fact. And it's a tragedy when it's not. This is why you have churches in in post-apartheid South Africa, where white people and black people can actually get along, can actually... Speak to each other about what happened and find grace and forgiveness. This is why the people who you have been at odds with your entire life can become brothers and sisters. When you find yourselves mutually rescued by the grace of God, mutually called by the mighty call of Jesus. Fourth, finally, the mighty call of Jesus saves Sinners. Now read this. We're in verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When Jesus is sitting, eating with, associating with, uh, you know, in this deeply personal act, uh, these people, if, if they were unclean, you, he became unclean. You know, that's that's how the Pharisees would have seen this. As, as when Jesus sits and eats with these sinners, he does so to call sinners to repentance. The Pharisees oppose him because they think that he is tainting himself with their sin. But he turns around and says, I came to call these people out of their sin. I, called to call, I came to call them to turn and be saved from their sin. You know That's something the Pharisees couldn't do. And we have just seen that, that when Jesus calls, people answer with their whole self. So he came to powerfully call sinners to repentance. So the mighty call of Jesus is effective, is comprehensive, it reconciles, and it saves sinners. And that really leads us to to a significant question, right? Why is the call of Jesus so mighty? What is it that happens when Jesus calls that changes a person so fundamentally? And we get an answer to that, actually, in these next seven verses that we're going to step into. Read this with me. We'll we'll read the lot, I think. Sorry, maybe we won't read the lot. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often. This is the Pharisee speaking to Jesus now. The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. that yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken from them, and then they will fast in those days. Pause there. This is really significant, what happens here. Really quite controversial language that Jesus is using, although it might not seem it to us. The bridegroom. The bridegroom was an image that is used throughout the Old Testament to refer to God, particularly to God as he comes and rescues his people. And calls them to him. Take for instance the prophet Hosea. Who receives this prophetic word. Which looks forward to God redeeming his people. This is Hosea chapter 2. Verse 17. God says. And in that day declares the Lord. You will call me my husband. And no longer will you call me my Baal. And I will make for them a covenant on that day. With the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice. In steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know the Lord. And Jesus, Jesus intentionally picks up this language to say to the Pharisees, you're not getting what's going on here. I'm not here as another teacher in your long line of rabbis. I'm not here to continue and perhaps improve on what you already have. My disciples don't fast. Because the one that they have waited for has arrived. The one you fast and long for, or you claim to fast for and long for, he's here. I am the bridegroom. I am here to bring my people back to God. And he says they will fast when he's taken away. And that looks forward to his death on the cross, they will mourn, they will pray, they will fast when he dies. But then the next words, they take it up another notch in this conversation with the Pharisees. Luke writes, here we go, from verse 36. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new. And the piece from the the old This parable is is a little confusing, but let me break it down to simple terms. Jesus is saying, I'm here with something new. I'm not just here as a patch for the old way of doing things. I'm not just a little add-on to the covenant that God made with you at Mount Sinai through Moses. I'm not just here to take what you have and make it better. I'm here with the new covenant. That has always been looked forward to. God, God said to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. On the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. And I'll remember their sin no more. Jesus is effectively saying, that's what's here. The new is here. I am here with something better. And what that means for what we've already seen has, has two elements to it. That are two sides of the one coin. First, the mighty call of Jesus calls people into something new when you are called to Jesus you are you enter a new promise with God you enter the new covenant in which he deals with you with our sin through the cross of Jesus and brings us back to God this is what the old covenant always looked forward to on the night before he died Jesus said in Luke chapter 22 he would say this cup is poured out for you Is the new covenant in my blood so when jesus calls you to follow him he does so on the basis on the basis of his blood spilled for you spilled to restore you and bring you back to god this is why jesus gives these two parables of the new cloth and the old cloth and the the new wine and the old wine. The new cloth and the new wine are a completely new covenant, a new relationship with God, a new promise with him. The other side of that coin is that the mighty call of Jesus doesn't just call you into something new, it makes you new. The new wine of the new covenant requires new wineskins. And that's what's happening. Perhaps this is the most important takeaway here, right? When Jesus calls people to him, they are made a new creation. When a person is saved by Jesus, the old dies and the new comes to life. They're a different person in a sense. In John's gospel, Jesus talks about this as having been born again. You know, forget the baggage you have with that term and think about what it actually means. Born of the Spirit, really a new life, in the sense that a baby is a new life. In his letter to the Roman Church, Paul says that we have been crucified with Jesus, and so we are dead to sin and alive to God when Jesus calls a person to him it's effective it is comprehensive it reconciles it saves sinners because he isn't just calling them to a little change he isn't calling them to be altered a bit he isn't calling you to come and do better this time so many people understand christianity like this that that god's calling them to come and and do better you know it's not that he is calling Come to me and I will make you new. I will bring you into a new promise with God. And I will give you new life. You know, I've, I've talked to a number of people since moving down here to the York Peninsula. We, we only moved down at the start of last year, by the way. Uh, but uh, I've talked to a number of people who've expressed this to me. And I've heard this elsewhere as well. That... That they couldn't go to a church because the, the roof had cave in on them. I think the gist is that they are too bad. That God could not save them. That they would destroy the church by their sinfulness. You're missing the point. I'm sorry. But there's no better way of putting this. You're wrong. It is my joy and it should be your joy to know that you're wrong. Of course you couldn't be good enough. I couldn't be good enough. We couldn't be good enough. I know you need more than to be given a clean slate to be improved on. I know you need better than a better you. And so Jesus says, I have come to make a new you. I have come to make you new. I've come to transform you from the heart out. And if this is to you, uh, if this is to you, then you know who you are. Jesus calls you today. He says, follow me. Repent of your sin and follow me, and I will make you new. By my blood spilled for you, I'll bring you into a new covenant. I will bring you into the promise of God's love for you. The promise of God's power in your life. And I will bring you into new life. You will be born again. You will be his child. And you will never be the same again. He says, I have done the work to achieve this when I died on the cross. So it doesn't matter how bad you think you are jesus overcomes it jesus can make you new you know this is actually in a sense just as true for the person who sat in church for the last 30 years as the person who says that they uh they can't come into a church it's true for the person who sat there for 30 years thinking that coming on a sunday singing a few songs hearing a sermon you know dull dull sermon by this dull idiot uh, that, that that's what god wants from you god wants so much more for you jesus came to make you new to transform you on every level to breathe life into your dead body believe it believe in the power of the cross of jesus And walk in new life finally i just i just want to say for the christians here today jesus can reach anyone anyone no matter how distant they may seem how broken they may seem you know in acts i've been reading acts recently in acts chapter 18 when paul's in the city called corinth god speaks to him and says don't be afraid go on speaking the gospel don't be silent For I have many in this city who are my people. We are called to go with that kind of confidence, Christians. That there are many that Jesus is calling out of sin and into new life. And it really doesn't matter what they were like beforehand. Have you noticed that? You know, woe to us, right? If we ever find ourselves thinking, and I've had this thought, and it's a terrible thought, and it's not... God's thought. If we ever find ourselves thinking, you know, that person would make a really good Christian. They seem really gifted, really good, really kind. You know, I think they'd make a great Christian. It doesn't matter what they're like. (laughs) Jesus doesn't take good people and make them better. Jesus takes dead people and makes them new. He makes them alive. He makes them children of God when they were far from him. Let that reorient our radars, Christians. Especially as we go through this pandemic, let's take this chance. When we come out of this at the other end, let's look to get back on the streets with the knowledge that anyone can be the person that Jesus is calling. It doesn't matter if they're your diehard enemy like Levi was to these fishermen. Jesus makes people new and he can do that with anyone by the power of his gospel. Would you pray with me now? Jesus, we ask that you would be making people new today, here, through this online service, Lord, for people in Minleton, for people in York Peninsula, for people wherever they are, we ask that you would make people new by the power of your blood, that you would draw people into the new covenant, into the new promise of God of his love through the blood of his son, we ask, Lord, that you would draw people, that you would call people into, uh, into your love effectively, Lord. Powerfully, without any chance of a person failing to come to you. We ask that you would call people comprehensively and that you would lead us to follow comprehensively. All of our lives, Lord, are yours. Everything we have is yours. We ask that you would reconcile by your mighty call. That our churches and this church would be a place where we see enemies reconciled by the power of Jesus. And Lord, we ask that you would uh, save sinners by your mighty call. And Lord, I pray for anyone who is listening today who has not known you, that you would call them Now that they would know the call of Jesus on their life, even though they may be sitting at home alone on the couch, on a seat, that they would know you, that they would be called by you to believe, to follow, to repent of sin, and that you would lead them to follow all the days of their life and on into eternal joy. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.